Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. I'm George Cooper and I hope you're having a better day today than our boys in white did on Saturday. The storm Eunice batters the UK. It was a defined gust from the north that wreaked havoc on the banks of the Thames. A lapse in concentration and a soft penalty gave Huddersfield the advantage before half-time. And despite a spirited second-half display from Fulham and a late Bobby Decadover-Reed goal, the visitors gleefully left with three points, like Terriers running off with a string of sausages from the Butchers. Let's not forget it was a meeting of two teams that were undefeated in 2022. Huddersfield are now unbeaten in 13. And I think it's fair to say that Huddersfield put in a very good performance yesterday, credit where credit's due. It was an interesting, albeit frustrating game with plenty of discussion points. And I am delighted to be joined by a stellar panel today who are going to help me unpick what went wrong yesterday. George Singer, welcome. How are you doing today? All right, mate. Wonderful intro. Loved the uh, the little terrier piece. Very nice. <laughs> I was trying to think how I could make it work. I was going to try and crowbar a Beano reference into there, but I thought oh, I didn't need it. But I'm glad you liked it. I'm also joined by Lydia Campbell. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Bit of a, an odd weekend for me, but I'm sure we'll we'll come on to that in in a minute. Of course, of course. Um, nodding to the storm there. And Farrell, have you managed to keep dry over these past days? How are you doing? Woof, woof, George Cooper. I certainly wasn't dry around 12.25 running from Hammersmith Station to to try and catch the game. Not that I had any reason to be late. I was just so, I, I, I hate early kickoffs and I was just faffing at home, really. <laughs> but I did manage to make kickoff in the end. It was probably the speediest I've ever been. Good man, good man. It's just a delightful image of you scurrying from Hammersmith Station, keeping your, your flat cap glued tightly to your head, <laughs> battling the wind. But uh, have you got some three-word reviews for us to kick things off? Yeah, we got some few nice three-word reviews to kick us off. Uh, Jack Kelly's not that deep. And I, I, I admittedly, <laughs> I, I'm, I messaged him being like, is this a reference to something? Because usually I'm out of touch. But he just said, nah, it's just, it's just not that deep a result, really. <laughs> that was all there was to it. Uh, Justin Miller's no open space in reference to the glorious, glorious song the other the other night. If you haven't listened to the This Will Catch On from, from midweek, I, I do certainly recommend. Uh, and I'll fi- finish off with Ross McSweeney. He usually comes up with a good one, but this was great. To, too good to leave out, but two terrible touches. Well done. Well done, Ross. That was very good. Very good. Just quickly on the uh, Meet Churn Open Space, my mum fully snapped at me yesterday because I had it in my head. It was a real earworm and I just kept going. Harry Wilson goes down the ride. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, shut up. Why do you keep singing that song? Anyway, we'll move on. Singer, it was a a very 
frustrating game yesterday. Tough conditions, grim weather. I thought Fulham started well, to be fair. We moved the ball well. We, we created chances, but we were unlucky in that nothing seemed to fall for us at all. And it just blows my mind to think that this is the same Huddersfield that we beat 5-1 in August. Has to be said... Carlos Caberan has fashioned quite an impressive side here. I think if QPR keep dropping points and Bournemouth and Blackburn slip, I can see them gearing up for an automatic promotion charge, to be honest. They're well organised, outstanding defending from Pearson and Lees. They were dynamic going forward. And before we criticise Fulham's performance, and there are things to criticise, I think it's right to praise our visitors. I thought they were very good. Uh, George, what particularly impressed you about this Huddersfield side and the way they adopted their game plan yesterday? Yeah, I've I've got to agree. And like you said, was it thirteen games unbeaten? Um, you know, they they came came to the cottage under lots of confidence, understandably. For me, I think it was it was their pressing, which which really, especially in the first half, we really struggled with. Uh, they were putting Tosin and Reem under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, forcing them to go long with uh, with out balls, which. Due to the wind, we really struggled to um, to win those ones. So, you know, their game plan worked pretty well. And the first goal, which I'm sure we'll come to pretty shortly, you know, that came directly from some pressing high up the pitch, uh, which I thought, you know, they they kind of really did us one there. And they, you know, certainly in the first half, I think probably they edged it. And whilst 2-0 two, two lead was uh, was maybe flattering them a bit, I think in the first half, they, they well deserve to be on top. Mm. Lydia, just the one change for Fulham going into the game, Bobby in for Neeskins. Um, it seemed a bit strange given Neeskins' form over this this year, this season. He's, you'd think, be one of the first names on the team sheet. And not to knock Bobby, I thought his goal was excellent. Um, but when Neeskins came on 60 minutes in, it was then that we started registering shots on target and seemed to actually put a threat in. Lydia, do you think this was a defensive change? Do you think we were trying to nullify the threat of Thomas, perhaps? And do you expect we'll see Neeskins back in the starting 11 against Peterborough? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I'd probably expect to see him back. Um, at first, I kind of wondered, was it just a bit of squad rotation? You know, we have a lot of games coming up. Um, and Neeskin's obviously been, you know, he's been sensational this year. Um, maybe just thought maybe that was the time. I have thought a few times this season that Bobby's actually been quite hard done by. Because, um, you know, he's never really, for me, put a foot wrong that, this season. Um, you know, it's more about Niskin's, um, you know, Cabano's incredible form this year that that's kept him out, out of the side. I do wonder. Um, Bobby's probably more versatile. Um, maybe that is why, as you say, um, there are a few threats in the Huddersfield side. You maybe just wanted to to try something different. I wouldn't say that it didn't work. You know, because I don't really think that's the reason we lost. Um, but I do, I do expect as much as um, I love Bobby, I, I really do. I'm a, 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 a big fan of his. Um, I would expect to see Neeskins back um, and that slight change of system on on Wednesday night, um, just because I don't think we necessarily, I don't think it worked enough for us to, mm. to go. Oh yeah, you know, let let's um, let let's go um, carry on with this. I do kind of feel though that it was more about rotation that than anything. To be honest, a lot of games coming up, and you know, we are going to need to use our our, our full squad. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And we've got some questions from uh, listeners coming up later about how we expect to shape up against Peterborough. But I do think squad rotation, particularly in our midfield, will be key to success in the in the games coming up. And uh, Farrell, so I mean, 
we're guilty on this podcast and I, I think across the fan base of, you know, chat of HMS Pista League. And I think yesterday was a, a stark reminder that we're not in the Premier yet. We often talk about, you know, when, not if we go up, but we've got a long season ahead. And I think Huddersfield are, are far from the only sides in this league capable of punishing us with some performances like that. I think whilst ultimately it just wasn't our day, I don't think we need to, as Jack Ketley said, get that deep about it. Uh, were there any aspects of our game yesterday that you think are causes for concern? I'm thinking about the lapses of concentration that keep creeping in, such as the one, such as the, the multitude of areas that led ultimately to their first goal. I think when you look at the chatter around the socials after the game yesterday, one of the big things that kept on cro- cropping up and has cropped up a little bit more and more in this sort of second half of the season is the chatter about the fullback situation and um, it's difficult to ignore it. And I feel that Huddersfield specifically didn't ignore it. And they certainly did target that particular area of the field very, very well. Um, Johnny Russell and Lewis O'Brien were constantly, whenever we had the ball in those fullback positions, they were spreading out from the centre of midfield. They didn't feel like they needed to protect uh, the defence so much. And they sort of, they pushed them out on the wide. And I felt that they used their strengths to focus on our weaknesses and it worked to a great effect. And But just to take it back a bit, a little bit, I feel that Huddersfield, they are the form team of the league, especially, you know, with this amazing unbeaten run, not 20, quite 23, but it is a very good run, especially when you consider, I think only two teams in the top 10 at the start of play actually won yesterday. And one of them was, was Huddersfield themselves. There are going to be a lot of crazy results. And it just it just so happened that it was a blip for Fulham right now. And, you know, when you think about it, we're still 10, 10 points clear at the top of the league. It's got to be a monumental failure for, for us not to eventually end up pissing this league. But saying that, I do feel like Marco Silva is the, has got the right mentality and has got the right mentality drilled into this team to be able to see this just as a blip and get them hardworking for Peterborough on Wednesday, because there has been a few times where we have got a bit of a annoying result, but we've been able to turn it around. The only sort of time that we that we know that we have sort of started to to creep into a bit of not so great form was that period before Christmas. But obviously, we know what happened after that. So hopefully, the same thing can happen and we can expect a ten-year result on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, wishful thinking, maybe. Uh, Lydia, what was your thoughts on their first goal? There was. I feel many, many opportunities from the Fulham side to clear our lines there. I think uh, you know, Harry Wilson getting dispossessed on the right um, and then what was quite frankly a beautiful assist from Tom Kearney uh, before Ward slammed it home. I mean, it, I think it's very hard to point the finger on one individual there. It's just, it was just a collective team fuck up really wasn't it yeah I think at the time um, I think I counted about four opportunities for us to get rid of to get rid of it um, maybe that's um, maybe that's not fully accurate but that that's why I, I kind of feel like you know first of all the ball through you know Reem I feel like was just it was far too easy um, I think you know I, I understand where it comes from that we're trying to step up and we're trying to constantly be pressurizing the opposition but there are going to be occasions where we're then ripped open because of that you know Reem he doesn't have the pace that he maybe had 10 years ago five years ago 
so he he was caught out first of all, and then the ball that we we did we did firstly clear it, and then as you say, you know Harry Wilson was bundled off it far too easily. Tom Kearney, as much as I absolutely love him, this is why we don't want him defending in our defensive box. Kate, <laughs> <laughs> stick to the other side of the pitch, please, Tom. It, it was just a bad touch, wasn't it? And then through the legs of the keeper, I mean, on another day, it wouldn't have happened. It's it's a poor goal for us to concede. Fair play to Huddersfield for actually being there. And it does show you that, you know, the more pressure you put on players, um, the more likely they're, they're to make a mistake. And that's probably seem like the most simple thing to say but that's what happened for for their second goal as well it was um, I think it was Sorba Thomas was it who, who won the penalty getting in there in a position where he probably had no right to go you know it, it shows you that taking risks and putting pressure on on players will reap rewards at some stage but yeah first goal that was do- down to us I think um more than um Huddersfield brilliance I think and you know what it Get against the run of play, but it happens. I think it harks back to that targeting the fullbacks area because it comes from Anthony Robinson being absolutely flat-footed for that long ball over the top. Like you could see it just about coming that they were they were winding up for it, and it kind of exposed his sort of la- maybe a lack of concentration. I don't want to hammer Anthony Robinson too much. I think he's a very capable player, but it kind of showed, and I think this throughout the entirety of the game that he came up against an opposite number who could match him athletically and that kind of exposed maybe his uh, maybe some of his defensive weaknesses that you know he might not be showing up in a lot of games this year because he does have that you know he does have that pace and power and strength about him that he for any sort of like weaknesses and he has in the up in the rest of his game that he can just use all of those attributes to get around it but Sorba Thomas gave him an absolute runaround a lot of the time yesterday I didn't think that Sorba Thomas was I don't think he's a great player but I think that he more than matched Anthony Robinson and, and it, it, it just showed especially in that first goal and in other situations where Robinson was trying to track back and just just couldn't get the, the uh, to his best side of him mm, yeah you got the feeling that Thomas was under some very clear tactical guidance and it paid dividends Russ Southwest 6 got in touch on Twitter and said to the point on the Anthony Robinson debate what is going on with Anthony Robinson? I am a massive fan. I am a massive fan and think he has the building blocks to be a top Premier League fullback, but his last three performances have looked very shaky. Attacking-wise, he's becoming very predictable and defensively mistakes are being made all too frequently. Singer, where, whereabouts do you stand on this debate? I thought yesterday, I mean, in addition to all the points that Farrell just made, he was wasteful in possession, wayward, very simple passes and the charges upfield that goes on these meandering runs that lead to nowhere and leave, leaves us incredibly exposed on that flank. He does put in some good balls. I'm thinking of that cross that he put into Mitro um, where we, we nearly scored for us a very good save. But Singer, where, where do you stand on, on this debate? What, what, I'd be interested to hear your opinion. Because I do it's... think, can I just add, sorry, because I do think he gets pelters on Twitter and um, I feel like he can be quite an easy sort of scapegoat. And I, I don't, always agree with the criticism but I don't think yesterday it wasn't his best game and there have been undeniably a few uh, sort of questionable performances of late. Yeah so it's it's a really interesting one so I think there, there's some stats for him which I can come on to in a second but for me I guess the first point I want to make is I think as fans we need to be a little bit careful about I guess kind of like biases creeping in with how we react to certain players 
and the point I'm trying to make here is that Anthony Robinson did not have the worst game of all the players yesterday. There were plenty of players that played a lot worse than him. Yeah, Robinson didn't have the best game of his career. He didn't set the world on fire, but he was not the worst player on the pitch yesterday. And it's not really fair on him that the majority of uh, you know comments or people targeting players, they're targeting him. I don't think he's had a great season and there have certainly been some games earlier on in the season where I think he's been pretty poor. And I think a lot of fans are letting that cloud their judgment a bit. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to hear you guys sitting in different bits of the stadium, but, you know, for people around me in H4, you know, one minute into the game, he gets the ball. I can hear people sighing. I can hear people moaning and grumbling. You know, he hasn't done anything in the game yet. He's barely had a touch. People are already moaning about him. And, you know, I'm sure he can feel that atmosphere. I'm sure he can feel that frustration from the fans. And it just makes stuff so much harder for him because he's probably getting a bit nervous, especially early on in the game. You know, he doesn't want to make mistakes. And then your mentality flips instead of trying to be positive and trying to make things happen he's probably focusing on not making mistakes, which is, you know, it's it's a really difficult mental position to be in, right? You think negatively, you're more likely to make those mistakes. So I think as fans, we probably owe him like, you know, draw a bit of a clean slate, be like, okay, you know, you haven't set the world on fire. He's still a young player, but we need to give him a bit of support and a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a clean slate because otherwise a bit like we saw with Cyrus Christie, you know, these things kind of build up, the players get more and more frustrated, the crowd get more frustrated, the player changes how they play to try and avoid making mistakes and it all just goes downhill. So I think we need to let let him off a little bit, give him a bit of space, give him a bit of support and I'm sure it won't be long before he'll be putting in good performances again, which we have seen from him in the past. Absolutely. And I, what what the stats that you mentioned earlier? So, I mean, I was looking at his profile a bit and some of his strengths and weaknesses. For me, some of his his big strengths, he's a, a great dribbler of the ball. Um, what he does with it is another piece, but uh, he's very good with coming forward from the ball. Him and Tim Ream connect together really nicely. He was um, he was the most frequent passer to Carvalho in a game where we really struggled to get the ball up the pitch. Like He was the only person actually getting the ball to our strike force. Um, his crossing rate is is pretty good. You know, he's he's got a lot of attacking strengths. For me, though, and this is probably one where fans get more frustrated than anyone else, it's kind of those shorter to medium length passes, kind of those simpler ones where uh, Tom Kearney, you know, 99% of them he makes. Anthony Robinson makes like 80, you know, high 80%. So, you know, he's losing the ball five times a game for simple passes, you know, quite and quite simple. I'm sure I would make a lot less than him. So, you know, though for me, those are his weaknesses. You know, if he can get kind of that shorter passing game sorted out, I think that's one of his major gaps. And if he can get that sorted, I think he becomes a, a well more rounded player. So yeah, he's, he's got loads of strengths. So I don't think we should ignore those when talking about him. Singer makes a very good point there about how much he helps that play 
you know, he not he doesn't just progress the ball very, very well. Like, there's no shadow of a doubt about it. The amount of times he does pick up the ball in deep positions and drive us forward. But I feel that especially when in the first half, because, you know, I, I, I sit on the Johnny Haynes stand side, so it's closer to me, so I can see it a lot more often, that the amount of times, like, those little uh, intricate passes in between the three, whether it's Cabano or, or as we saw Bobby Deckard over Reed yesterday and Carvalho, we saw so many times how many Fabio got that ball in that sort of like left hand side of the of the box, like the sort of like love handles of the box. This was just on the on the left hand side, and <laughs> it's it's Anthony Robinson who usually is is key to that key to that area they're playing those triangles inside and out they don't always put the ball in straight away but they're trying to find that extra little space those little passes in the around the halfway line to then exploit it and I think that's probably why Silva opted for Deckard over Reed yesterday because he's more sort of plays inside rather than outside like Cabano does so that it gives that extra Mm. option inside to sort of play inside to Reed and then play through play through to Carvalho, who's exploiting the fact that Huddersfield were, were not playing with five of the back, they were playing with two centre-backs. And that's, you know, they Huddersfield nullified it a little bit in the second half, but Carvalho was able to pick pick the ball up in in those sorts of areas a little bit. Mitrovic almost got on, got on the toe of one of Carvalho's crosses, and there was a couple of other occasions where he had decent openings with Carvalho pitting up on the left-hand side of that box. But without Robinson doing all the good work mm-hmm in and around that area, I don't think Carvalho picks up the ball in those attacking areas as much as we probably would do. But that's not saying that Joe Bryan wouldn't be able to do it, but Robinson was doing it very well. Yeah, no, it's an astute observation. And yesterday was a sort of game where, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was screaming from my seat, being like, we need to get Fabio involved as much as possible. You know, he we needed to get him on the ball as much as we possibly could. And uh, can we just acknowledge the use of the term love handles of the box there? I, was, I particularly enjoyed that. And a, a lovely little glimpse into the inner workings of Farrell Monk's mind. <laughs> it was amazing. The, the, um, pitch is like, the pitch is like a, a, a sexy body. <laughs> And, um, oh, you know, I'm just a... <laughs> but we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. We'll leave Brilliant, my other sort of like, thoughts I, I about, do enjoy uh... this. <laughs> what does, what does that make the penalty spot? Or uh, the actual goal itself? Maybe <laughs> the penalty not spot is, that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll aim a bit safer and be like, it's the, it's the navel <laughs> of the, of the, uh, <laughs> Amazing. Okay, cool. Brilliant. Right, we need to come on to the penalty because there's been a lot of debate about this. Uh, Lydia, I'm just going to throw it out there. What were your thoughts? Penalty, no penalty? Absolutely not. Outrageous. I mean, mm. he, he kicks the ball out and chucks himself at Rudak. It's not, it's, it's not a penalty. And what, what I would say, though, is that last week they had a, a goal disallowed. I don't know if any of you saw it. Probably one of the worst refereeing decisions in the championship I have seen. That was only last week. So maybe it's a matter of, you know, what goes around comes around because that penalty decision was, I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. It's not It's not a penalty. And I don't normally, um, obviously I had to unfortunately watch the game at home yesterday instead of travelling because of um, our storm units wreaking havoc with my travel plans. Um, but you don't normally get a whole panel of Sky pundits saying no penalty. You, you don't mm. normally get that. Not one of them, can't even remember who was on, said that that was a penalty. 
So absolutely not. Ridiculous decision. Um, but I'm hoping, like in Huddersfield's case, where it was kind of maybe justice for last week's ridiculous decision, um, where they had a goal disallowed because they were fouled. And after they were fouled, the keeper tripped over the player on the, on the ground um, and he ruled the foul on the keeper. Like It was ridiculous. So I'm kind of hoping that it means that there's going to be some outrageous decision that goes for us on Wednesday night. So we, we shall see. That's faith in the karma, <laughs> the rules of karma. What goes around comes around. I thought I agree, totally agree. The, the main thing with me, and Thomas had quite clearly just booted it straight out for, for a goal kick. There's no way on earth he's taking that round Rodak and then it, you know, potentially ending up in the back of the net. It, it was just, it was absolutely absurd. Farrell, I think you you had a particular take on this. I've been chomping at the bit to talk about this and I am okay. certainly opening up myself to to receive a lot of flack here, but you know... Not like you to be inflammatory, Farrell. No, no, I'm quite on the fence about a lot of things. Um, but I I do have to disagree to a certain extent. Oh. I'm not absolving I am not absolving the referee's performance, overall performance by any stretch of the amount. However, with this particular incident, we we're not just because Rodak is sort of stopping his momentum. And the player clatters into him. That doesn't necessarily make it not a foul because Rodak's not making huge amount of progress towards the player. We, we don't. This isn't basketball. If you stand still and someone runs into you in basketball, that's not a foul. But in this situation, Rodak is making his making his way towards the ball. Uh, I think it's Sorba Thomas gets there first. They're both going towards that area. They clatter into each other. In any other situation, it's a foul. If it was, if it wasn't the goalkeeper, if it was Robinson, if it was someone else, it would be deemed a foul. In the rules of football, if it was a if it was a winger against a fullback, and in the same situation, it's still a foul. Regardless of whether you think it's right or wrong in terms of the rules, it it doesn't matter because, you know, in this situation, it it's always going to be a foul. It's always going to be you know the attacker getting the benefit of the doubt in that situation. I've watched it again like 10, 15 times to make sure that, you know, I feel sort of justified in this position. And I still feel like, you know, it's Rodak isn't launching himself at the striker. We've seen it so many times when Andy Johnson was playing for Fulham or Everton. He won so many penalties like that. And we would see it as a penalty and we'd be happy about it. I can see why people would disagree, but. You know, it boils down to the fact that Sorba Thomas got there first. Rodak put himself in that position to try and get in the way and didn't. It's incredibly clever from from the striker and from the attacker and he gets the reward for it. And I just think it is a penalty. I know I'm, I know I, I'm looking at three phases right now. I'm glad I am sitting on the other end of a computer and not in a studio. <laughs> I see where you're coming from, but I disagree with the argument of if that's anywhere else on the pitch, then it's a foul because it's not anywhere else on the pitch. It's in the, the six yard box in, you know, in front of goal and it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity. It, you, you, you don't have a clear goal scoring opportunity on the touchline, on the halfway line, do you? It's not, it, it's not relevant. And that argument is not relevant for, but you don't get, you don't get I, I think that there's nothing else. Could have pen- done. You don't get penalties for obvious goal scoring opportunities. You get penalties for a foul inside the box and it's foul. But like it, for, for, for me, for me though, 
they, I think they said in the punditry, oh yeah, um, Rodak's gone out to block that shot. I don't think he is going out. I think he's going out to pick the ball up. You know, he has he has his hands, but he, you know, he's not. <laughs> it it's not a situation for me where he's like being forced into taking Sor- Sorba Thomas down or anything. You know, because he's getting to the ball first and it's all. He's genuine. He's going to pick the ball up. You know, fair play to Thomas. He does nip in there, but I still I think. <sighs> The ball was out of play in the barriers by the time Sorba went down. It's mm. just, I, 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 Farrell, I respect you, but I disagree <laughs> with you here. It, it's an interesting point, though. Um, Singer, if if the championship has VAR, does that decision get overturned? I mean, I, I think. I, I don't know, and look, look, I don't, I don't know any more about refereeing decisions than either of you, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna weigh in on that. But I think for me, what this shows is two things. Firstly, the referee needs more support. You know, the fact that four people here, after watching it multiple times, can't agree. How on earth is a human being with a probably obscured viewpoint meant to make the right decision? in a in a split second you know we have the support we need to give referees more support and then secondly i think we need to do more to educate fans about why a decision has been made you know we look at sports like rugby and i think they do a fantastic job of of tmo in rugby of hearing the conversation hearing the the call that the ref has made and even if, you know, as fans, you're not always going to agree if the opposition get the call over to you, but at least you can understand why the decision was being made and hopefully educate yourself a bit. And that's what kind of, that's the big frustration for me here is is not about whether it was given or not or whether it was right or wrong. It was why it was given. And that's what I'm kind of struggling to reconcile as a fan. Um, so I think both for people in the stadium and people watching TV, you know, we need to do more to to replay back why a decision has been given the way it is, because um, the refs have such a difficult job. And I think we need to give them more of a voice to explain why they've made the calls that they have. I, I think that's not too much of a bad shout. I guess you would have people who'd argue that it would slow down the pace of the game and that having that whole process. But I think if you tie it into a VAR thing and on the screen, instead of just having the decision, it has a little walkthrough of, you know, the, the thought process behind that decision, I think that it would, you know, I, I can't see any negative side of that as long as it doesn't slow down the game. And also maybe if if officials knew that they were going to have to sort of rationalise and explain their thought process, it might make them a little bit more kind of diligent and, you know, it, it make things clearer even when they're getting to the, make coming to their own decisions, if that makes sense. So, what, what, yeah, can I can I just make what one point on that though? The on the sort of the TMO um, angle in the sports where that works, so obviously works in rugby, it's very effective. You know, you know exactly what the referee and the TMO are discussing. It happens in hockey as well. But both of those sports, they t- they stop the time. They stop time mm. for that. And obviously in football, the, the, the clock just runs. And I think that's, that is that is an important point here. You know, in, in rugby and hockey, you know, like as a player, I know, not that I've ever had a TMO at a game I've played at, but you do often have the, re- the umpire stop play and have a discussion. 
and it's very normal and we know that time isn't running out because the clock's been stopped. So in football, if they are going to bring that in, which I would like, they probably need to think about that, which I would imagine would go down like a lead balloon if people <laughs> said that it's go- they're going to start stopping the clock every time. you know. And obviously in both those sports, you don't get injury time because of it, because the clock has stopped. And sorry if you can see my dog's foot here. He's just popped <laughs> his... Just, just right in the face. Thank, that, that, thank you, Greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, th- I think that... Unfortunately, you can't really compare the TMO in rugby and in other sports with what happens in football. Isn't there isn't there initiative to, uh, I think it's one of Arsene Wenger's 10-point plan to improve football or whatever it is. Some of them are ludicrous and whatnot, but one of them is to make it a 60-minute um, game of football with a stop-start clock uh, because the, I mean, isn't it like on average in the average of like Premier League championship game, the game only lasts like 60 minutes. The rest of the time, the ball's out of play, which is quite remarkable yeah. and whatnot. Um, I think there are other, I think some of the games involving Burnley, like the game, like the game only goes on for like 50 minutes, which is just utterly, utterly Bloody baffling. Hell. But yeah, yeah. just uh, uh, that's just one of the initiatives. I think. I still don't think that it just fits the game of football in a way, but anything to make it sort of like instant and better would be great. You know, stuff like goal line technology. Technology. I know they're looking at AI for offside decisions, and that's why they sort of implemented it quite enough now, so they can just gather as much inf- uh, data as possible to then implement it effectively another time. I do feel like the Premier League is getting better at the decision making side of things because they are getting back to what the ethos was supposed to be at the start of last season in terms of literally only overriding obvious mistakes rather than sort of going down to the complete sort of like replaying it over and over and over again not that I've watched a lot of Premier League games this year to be honest um you know, maybe mm. I've been watching it more ever since Brentford decided to become shit again. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting. We're getting quite philosophical here, but I mean, who knows what the game of football is going to look, look, look like in 50 years' time. You see it with all manners of sport. You see it with cricket. They're just warping and changing the game to make it more spectator-friendly, to like appeal to bigger markets. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these nutty proposals do come into fruition over the next few years. But, you know, that's not it's not for us to say whether or not that's a good thing. And uh, let's get back to the match in hand, shall we? Just <laughs> find one final point on the penalty. I just thought, um, <laughs> I thought it was, it would have been more justified if we'd have been given that penalty following the handball. But I think it was um, John Russell off, yeah. um, off, off Tosin's header, which I thought was as clear a penalty. You know, if, you, if you're going to give the one against Rodak, his arm's in an unnatural position and it's clearly struck it. I mean, that's a penalty. And then you, I feel like we'd be a little bit more kind of, you know, appeased if that had gone that way. But anyway, that's another, that's another debate. But I'd like to come on to some individual performances, if we may. I'd like to start with the positive, as always. Nico Williams, three assists in three. I think he could have had about 11 assists yesterday if things had fallen our way. What an addition he's been to this side. <laughs> I think any improvement on his on his debut which was such a harsh t- game to come into away at Manchester City he was given a torrid time when he hasn't actually been playing that much uh this season already but yeah he's been he's been great you can see that extra bit of quality that he provides he does have the athleticism of you know the attacking fullback that Marco Silva demands he loves a shot 
who doesn't love a shot? But uh, I mean, the shot did lead to the goal today, uh, yesterday even. As much as I would like to say it was a meant pass, it wasn't for, for Deca Reed. I think, yeah, I think that, you know, there are some, there are a few shaky moments here and there, but yeah, it, you can see how much he is improving game by game. I think he's, I think he's great. Yeah, I, I think that he was probably certainly one of the more positives. But as Singer pointed out earlier, you know, Robinson didn't have his greatest game, but there were a few shaky performances all over the pitch. I didn't think that Bobby Reed, although looked very, very lively and got uh, his goal, I thought when he moved into the midfield after Cabano came on, I did think we surrendered a little bit of the centre midfield a little bit. And I don't think that is Bobby Reed's fault, but he sort of lost a little bit of his influence on the game, although he did get the goal, but that wasn't actually a result of him playing in centre midfield. It was a bit of sheer luck that the ball fell to him. But great finish, got to say. Lovely little finish. Mm. But yeah, again, you know, I just think... I think what it boils down to, I don't think it was our best performance. It by far wasn't our worst performance. But I, I thought, credit to Huddersfield, and I don't want to make this all about Huddersfield. I thought that they were great yesterday, to be honest. We, I don't recall any one of our wingers actually taking on their fullback and getting round them. I thought Tofolo, for, for their left back, was sensational yesterday. I think he really, really nullified Harry Wilson. And we know how good Harry Wilson is especially in one-on-one situations. I don't think he was able to get round the back of him at all. I thought the fact that we were having, because we weren't able to get in behind them, only Carvalho was probably the only one that was able to to exploit any gaps behind the defence. Therefore, we were having to cross from deep quite a lot of the times, which we have had a lot of success this season, but their centre-backs dealt with it very effectively. I think I saw something that we crossed the ball something like 60-odd times yesterday which is yeah. just incredible. And I think, you know, from memory, I know that Mitrovic had uh, had a header, which was very well saved by Nichols and Tosin had a, a couple of others, but that was about it as far as I'm concerned. From 63 crosses when we've been so effective in that area does kind of show how well Huddersfield played and it's not really that anything to do. I think if we play like that yesterday on Wednesday night, we'll win the game quite easily, to be honest. Mm. I thought Pearson and Lee's were outstanding yesterday. Their aerial prowess, the strength, keeping Mitrovic at bay. And, you know, that start with the crosses says it all, really. We didn't register a shot on target until 60 minutes yesterday. Like, how, <laughs> how many teams come to Craven Cottage and can, can boast that kind of stat? But, yeah, no, brilliant performance. I think it was uh, all agreed. And just, just not our day, you know. It wasn't our day at the office. And move on hopefully we can put it right against Peterborough on Wednesday night right we're going to be right back after a short break with some of your listener questions don't go anywhere welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast I'm Josh Cooper and I am joined by Lydia Campbell hi guys Farrell Monk hello everyone and George Singer Hello, mate. Right, I'm going to throw this question to you, Singer. This is from Daniel Shaw on our new Telegram channel, which is a lot of fun if you fancy joining. Daniel Shaw says, how big a concern is Reams one-on-one defending? Obviously, TC, Wilson and Rodak will get the blame for the first goal, but with a better centre-back, we never get anywhere near that position. It seems half the goals we've conceded these last few months have been from a winger just running at Ream. Specifically, the majority of our games against better teams with better wingers, how big a concern could should this be? 
Um, I'm always really reluctant to throw shade at Ream because, you know, I love him and he's been such an amazing servant at the club. But the debate undeniably pops up about, you know, the situation next year. George, where do you kind of stand on this? It's really hard to criticise him because he's such a lovely bloke. And I feel like, you know, I I don't want to personally um, attack the guy. Yeah, I I think for me, he's unfortunately showing a a bit bit of his age in this regard. You know, his turn of pace, his ability to kind of win some of those duels. I think we get away with it in the championship. You know, we've we've got the ball 60% of the time. And, you know, when we're scoring seven goals a game, you know, it's it's unlikely that, that his kind of misgivings in that area will harm us too much. So I think in the championship, we get away with it. I hate to say it, but in the Premier League, you know, he's had a few opportunities and he's not really made it. And, you know, add, a, add another year onto his age, I think he's going to struggle. So I, I feel really bad saying this because he's such a nice bloke and he he offers so much you know particularly his passing his you know he's basically like he's almost like a bit of a quarterback like he's almost playing that kind of Andrea Pirlo role of spreading the ball around um you know putting putting some of those curved three balls to our wingers like he's so good at that and that's such a rare skill set for a centre-back let alone a championship one but if I had to pick one area to upgrade if we got promoted, like yeah, he's that that centre back role is is probably up there, unfortunately. You almost wonder if we could keep him on as a kind of, you know, a transition into a more of a defensive coaching role. Because he's undeniably, you know, a fantastic role model and a very, you know, smart, articulate guy. I could see him hopefully sticking around at Fulham, but who knows? It's um not not for us to say really. But um right, moving on to the next question. This is from Rob Sapowski. This is also from the Telegram. I'm gonna throw this to you, Lydia. Nico, um Nico or Kenny on Wednesday, Brian or Robinson, pick your winning fullback duo. The million dollar question. Oh. Specifically for Peterborough. Let's you know, with with the opposition in mind and, you know, the element of squad rotation as well. Okay. Well in Basically, because of squad rotation, <laughs> um, I think I on with Peterborough being <clears throat> what second from bottom is that is that yeah. where they are yet? Um, they've just been beaten by Derby. Although to be fair, Derby are actually a much better side than their position suggests due to financial reasons. Um, I would I, I I'd like to see Brian have, have another run. Um, I've always been a big fan of Brian. Um, I think I'd have him. And um, it would be a good game maybe for Kenny Tete to get his um, fitness back. Obviously, he's just come back from injury. Um, I think my strongest duo would probably be Williams and and Robinson. But I think Tete and Brian, to be fair, are running them quite close. I don't think there's a massive gulf there. Um, I think I think Williams has been a brilliant signing. Um, actually, I would love to see him stay at the club. I don't know how much um opportunity there is for that. Um, I know Klopp is a is a really big fan, but look at the fullbacks um at, at Liverpool. Um, who knows if he's ever going to get the the chance there? So Wednesday night, I would go for um Tete and Brian, but I'd be quite keen going forward for our strongest pairing to be Williams and and Robinson. Mm, it's a it's a funny one. I bet. Not that any other fans from any other clubs would listen to this podcast, but I bet if they could, they'd listen to us 
debating this choice. It's, I mean, it is it is a, a very fortunate position to be in. I bet Peterborough would, you know, give a left arm to have a fullback like Anthony Robinson and to hear us being like, oh, I'm not entirely sure, you know. Yeah, let's, let's check our privilege here. It's a very fortunate position to be in. And um, yeah, I think I would have to agree with you on, on your analysis. Baz, we're going to move to you this one now. And this this isn't so much a... Um, a question, but I'm going to add a question to or to the end of it. So this is from Andy on Twitter. He says, there is no need to panic. We are not invincible. We will lose. We will fuck up. We are Fulham. That should be a chant, really, shouldn't it? That'll catch on. Silver has pretty much used last season's squads and improved them um, to what we see today. If we go up, which I hope we will, will we receive, I hope we will receive backing to buy some proven players. So it's turn this into a question. And I know we've discussed this a fair amount, but just wanted to hear your opinion on it. Which of the areas just quickly that you, you feel like we've already touched upon center back, but which other areas do you think we need um, improvement on um, looking forward to next year? Yeah. It's the question I've kind of agonized over and spoken with well outside this podcast quite a lot it's such a difficult one because i love every player in the squad and i don't want to see any of them go or not get game time next year for all for the will in the world i really really want to i want tim ream to play 38 games next year in the premier league although interestingly i think his contract expires at the end of this year it'd be a wonderful send-off for him to be lifting the championship trophy at the um, at the end of this season. But to come back to the question, I think perhaps the next area I would look at is sort of centre midfield. I think we've got versatility and quality in there with Harrison Reed. I would say. I think I'd have question marks over the sort of more defensive position. So I, I really like Nathaniel Chalabar. I think he's got quality. I don't think he's got the the driving forward ability that we have seen with with other players uh, like Hangisa, for example, or other players in in the Premier League that that might be expected of the quality. Um, we know how John Michel Seri might fare at Premier League level as well. Whether he'd have the the quality and consistency to to perform at a level to keep us up. Although I do really, obviously really like John Michel Seri. And I would, the other sort of position I would say is probably another winger, a, another sort of quality winger, because I think Harry Wilson's got the quality. I would have question marks over Cabano, I think. And, you know, let's sort of taper this next opinion. I think that when you consider that Niskins Cabano is probably performing at the best of his ability this year, but in the Man City game, and yes, it is Manchester City, and he's obviously coming up against one of the best teams in the world. He was quite ineffective, to be honest, and it shows that he doesn't necessarily, although he has the dribbling ability, he doesn't necessarily have the athleticism to to sort of really stretch defences. Likewise, as we saw with perhaps Patrick Roberts, for example, or Karim Fry, um, Players with unbelievable quality with the ball at their feet, but once he gets past the player, is he able to sort of get away from that player? Um, I'm not entirely sure about that. Again, I think I love him and I would love him to play 38 games next year. But if we are thinking pragmatically here, those are probably the two places that I would look at. Got you. Um, Singer, where do you stand on the, the road out debate? Just briefly, because I know we've, we've spoken about it um, you know, at length of the podcast before, but yesterday I saw some people on Twitter calling him out for a poor performance and saying this is evidence that we need to level up, as it were, going into the Prem. I'm personally on the team that I think he deserves a shot 
between the sticks in the Premier League. I don't think he's done enough to convince me otherwise. I think he's you know a very solid keeper and still very young and improving by and large. Um, but yeah, where where do you stand? God, it, the year twenty fifty, and we'll still be comparing <laughs> goalkeepers. Uh, bring back bets and butts. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, good question. Um, I and it, it's almost difficult to answer this as a fan because I really like Rodak. I think he's put in loads of great performances, and he's earned the right to have a proper shot in the Premier League, which he didn't really have last time round. Saying that, if I was to be brutally objective, if there is an opportunity to get someone of Ariola's calibre, it would be a no-brainer. Like goalkeeper is one of those positions where you probably get the most bang for your buck in terms of, you know, the amount of goals a better goalkeeper would save for the money you spend on them. So, you know, the objective robotic bit of my mind is like you know what that's probably the most efficient place to spend money in the transfer window however if he does get a chance I'll be delighted for him because he's grafted for two seasons I think he's done very well in the championship I don't think he had a great game yesterday but you know he's kind of earned that after many stellar performances so yeah I mean my heart and head probably go in different directions on this one that's a very diplomatic answer but a very good one there's a a fantastic book called The Numbers Game by Chris Addison and there's another co-author on that I can't remember but they argue that in sort of five, ten years time that the goalkeeper is going to be you know the the player that we see 100 million spent on as opposed to you know your strikers and and your wingers because if you think about it from a logical point of view if you don't concede if you keep a clean sheet you are guaranteed at least one point whereas if you score one goal that by no means guarantees you a point so if you look at it from that perspective there's going to be a lot bigger emphasis on defensive players and you see it with the likes in the you know Virgil van Dijk what they spent 70 million on him it's starting to creep in more and more but yeah from if from that as you put it robotic part of your brain it does make sense to invest in a in a good keeper especially if uh next year as I think we're all anticipating we're going to be uh Receiving quite a few shots on our goal. So, um, yeah, anyway, we'll see how that one pans out, I guess. First one to you, Lydia. This is from J.E. Harkensile. Was Huddersfield just a bit of a glimpse of how we will fare in the Premier League? And I think we, it, we've we been very spoiled this year. You know, this is a very unique season. We're scoring lots of goals. We're outclassing opponents. And there are a few people who argue that overall the quality of the championship this year isn't as high as it has been in previous years. And it's very high, easy to get into our own kind of little world of aren't we the best team on the planet? And was Huddersfield yesterday a bit of a crash back down to earth and maybe a bit of a reality check? I mean, look, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. First of all, Huddersfield are probably the biggest challenge we've had um, in a while because they're in very good form themselves. You know, we, we shouldn't be, you know, the 5-0 defeat or... Um, Five one defeat at the start of the season was maybe a bit of a um a bad day at the office for them, but what I would say is that I don't believe Huddersfield have anywhere near the quality of a lot of those lower Premier League sides. Um, so they were very hard working. They had a brilliant game plan. 
Um, but I wouldn't say it quite compares with what we'll get next year in the Premier League because I think any Premier League side has more quality than that. They might not have the be- better game plans. What I would say, though, is that we need to be we need to be ready for teams who know exactly what that they want to do against us. Um, you know, if you if you, if you think the likes of um, if we do go up and the likes of Burnley are still there. It's more likely to be like a sort of Burnley scenario, isn't it? Where you have um, Sean Dyche with a very clear plan and very physical um, bodies in the line, kind of back to the wall kind of um, idea. I wouldn't be comparing it with the majority of Premier League teams who we're going to hopefully play next year because I think they they just have much more quality. I think I think that that's where we need to be start um to, to starting to, to to think about really is how we can improve this side um quality wise. I think I think we have the game plan. I think we have the um everything else, but do we have the quality across the pitch is probably more um where I would be kind of concerned about Rather than thinking, well, Huddersfield are, are a good side. Um, oh, we've bit lost to them. Is that you know a glimpse of what we're going to fit, see next year? If you kind of get my drift. Yeah, great. So we'll, we'll we'll call it a day there for this section of the podcast. Big thanks to all the listeners who got in touch with questions. Those are from our new Telegram channel, which is called the Fulhamish Community, uh, which has been really fun. You know, thanks so much for everyone who has joined. We've, we've got fans from all over the world. You know, we've got people who've joined from Australia, obviously America, all over. And if you do want to join, all the details of that are on the community section of our website and also Twitter as well. So thanks everyone who got in touch with them. We're going to have a little break now and then uh, move on to a brief Peterborough preview before calling it a day. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It's the Fulhamish podcast. I'm joined by Lydia Campbell, Barrel Monk and George Singer. Yesterday was a special day at Craven Cottage as we marked the first ever, the inaugural Fulham Celebration Day at the cottage in which we remember the fans who have passed away this past year and um, brought into special significance, obviously, after the uh, the passing of Paul a couple of weeks ago. Farrell, how did you feel the, the day went uh, from, uh, from an FST point of view? Yeah, I think it was brilliantly done. I've got to, I've got to say that especially Owen Smith and Tom Greatorex, who were the, who really were the driving force behind this uh, celebration day. So uh, many congratulations to them and fantastic from the club for being totally on board with it straight from the off. I've seen the, the spread in the program and everything like that. The, the messages up on screen, the pictures and everything. I think it really, really just brings a closer bond in between the fan base and the club itself. And I think it was uh, beautifully poignant and, beautifully done and yeah not much more I can say about it really I think it was I think it was a really good good initiative yeah absolutely and you know no doubt that it's going to carry on into well into the future and it would become a regular regular date in the calendar and it was um, yeah and it was especially emotional given everything that's happened with Paul Parrish and so on and yeah hats off to everyone involved at the club and thank you so much for you know for bringing it to to our attention and making it making it a, the special day that it was um so Peterborough 
on Wednesday. Fulham, I feel generally this season have been fantastic in responding to negative results. I don't think yesterday was a particularly bad result given the the, uh, the esteemed performance of Huddersfield. It just wasn't our day really. But, you know, Singer, 23rd in the league, five losses in six for Posh. I mean, Darren Ferguson surely on the phone to his dad asking for some advice on how to get out of this fairly sticky situation. Surely a fairly routine victory for us. I don't, I'm saying this with a grimace on my face, but you'd think, you know, you're a stats man. You think that the numbers are, are going in our favour. You'd, you'd think so, right? I mean, they've lost, like you said, four in five. They've conceded 61 goals. I think only Reading have conceded one more. So a bit of a leaky defence. I'd say if yesterday hadn't happened... You know, there's almost that kind of banana skin feeling of a top of the table side with so much confidence coming up against, uh, you know, a side right down at the bottom of the league. You'd think kind of complacency might come in. I think after yesterday, I think the squads will be absolutely, you know, roaring, chomping at the bit to try and set things right. So, yeah, I mean... (laughs) I've learned as a Fulham fan over the years never to feel confident or optimistic in any way because they'll <laughs> always find a way to uh, to disappoint. But if there's ever a match to feel cautiously optimistic, shall we say, it's it's probably this one. Okay, Farrell, do you think this is going to be the game where Mitro beats Ivan Tony's championship record? I feel like I jinxed it slightly yesterday because after the whole game last week, well, we got the win. Mitrovic got his goal to equal it. I feel like, and I did say this out loud, I'm glad he only got one goal because I really want to see him get it in front of the home fans, especially since I was in attendance at Hull. So I was like, oh, he's going to save it for me. And then he didn't yesterday. So I will say that I hope he doesn't get it on Wednesday night. But obviously I hope <laughs> I do, but I don't think he will. But yeah, so... It would be nice. It would be nice if he wait if he if he did it in front of the home fans. So yeah, I mean, I think come on, it's got to it's got to it's got to be close. It's got to be close. And what a special moment that will inevitably be uh, when it does happen. There was a fantastic uh, Peter Rutzer article on the Athletic. I'm not sure if you guys saw, in which he interviewed Guy Whittingham, who obviously is the um, is the owner of the record for most goals in not the championship. This is before the championship. Um, how, how many goals did he get? It was like forty something. Forty two. I think yeah, he's still ahead. Goals in I what? think he's still ahead, isn't he? Like goals, like at this same stage of of the league season, um, Mitrovic has still got more goals. But or something. It, yeah, if Mitro carries on at his current run rate, he's set to completely smash the record. Um, but the interview was really sweet, actually, because Guy Whitting came out and said that I would, I actually want to see Mitro beat my record, and he's he's held it for thirty years or something crazy. Um, but yeah, it was a really good article. If and he said that his Guy Whittingham's nephew uh, lives in Australia, he's a Fulham fan, and is texting him every time Mitro scores. He's like, "No, I'm fully aware of this. I'm fully aware of this." It's quite nice to see that you know he's keeping an eye on this on this race, and hope and it's nice that he's on board with it. But yeah, if if you're not already a subscriber to Athletic, you can read all of Peter's articles on Fulham as well as everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod right now there's a special deal going on that you can get six months for just a quid a month muggins over here signed up the other day paid 40 quid for the whole year if i'd have waited a couple of weeks i'd be able to have just made i don't want to think about it but yeah at the moment unbelievable deal six months for a pound a month um so yeah just go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod 
Lydia, just one final question on Peterborough. We we talked we talked a bit on about squad rotation earlier on um, in the podcast. Any faces you'd like to see in particular? I thought yesterday was a game that was crying out for a bit of Seri magic. Do you expect him to to start in the in the in the middle of the park? Where where where, where do you see? Silver making some changes. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been as much as I've um, thought um, Shabal has done really well. I've been a bit disappointed not to see Siri or Reed um, starting recently. Um, so maybe it's a game just to, to switch things up again. Um, it's not like we would be experimenting. We know that Reed and Siri are are, are great players. Um, I also wonder if I, I do. I think yesterday we missed um, having the likes of um, uh, Muniz coming on. So obviously with him being injured, um, it might be might be a game for him if he if he's back for injury as well. Not not starting. Obviously we want Metro to get to get that 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 record. Um, but it would be it'd be quite nice to see a couple of of, of different faces. Um, let's get a couple of goals up and then start ringing the changes really I think it would be would be my way of thinking if if that happens I don't like underestimating any team but if we're a couple of goals up then yeah bring um let's let's make, make a couple of changes yeah could you imagine, be nice nice could you imagine how much piss nice would be boiled run out. if uh Cavalero starts up front on uh on Wednesday night and Mitchell <laughs> doesn't even come on yeah please no <laughs> <laughs> I thought, it, I thought, I thought I he was thought really Cavalero good was right. when he came on it yeah. was all right, on. but he didn't come up as a lone striker. <laughs> <laughs> on the wing, on the on the wing, I thought he he was very effective yesterday when he came yeah. on. Credit where credit's due, yeah. but yeah, as as a striker, I feel like he's taken on a massive burden of like the frustration at the Parker era when he was yeah. played as a lone striker, which I think is although his performances, you know, were sometimes um, you know left a lot to be desired. I think that basically the problem was with Parker's tactics, <laughs> not with Ivan. Yeah, specifically. I'm, st- I'm still having nightmares about those days, to be honest. And it's oh, yeah. no slant on on Cavaliero, obviously. Well, it was hardly his fault. Um, but please don't ever start him as a lone striker again. That um, that that was a disaster. <laughs> I remember you you posted you tweeted something that made me laugh the other day, Lydia, when you were like, "Do you remember when that? Do you remember that period last year where Parker just refused to play Mitrovic? That was a laugh, wasn't it? <laughs> like, like, just looking at it now, he's the most prolific striker in the whole of Europe. But we had a manager who was just like, "No, no, you stay there on your bench, Mitro, where you belong." Madness. There was absolute madness. Last, I do remember points last year when like Mitrovic must have been sitting on the bench waiting for his chomping at the bit waiting to come on and then we'd be like we haven't scored yet we haven't created very much and then he would see Abubakar Kamara getting his tracksuit off ready to come on those were some, <laughs> those were some oh. weird days Can you imagine oh, oh. craziness absolute madness absolute madness all right anyway on that on that bombshell um I think it's time to name the pod Farrell have you got one in mind for me there was a clear cut a winner. Uh, let's see if let's see if you're going to go for the one that I had in my mind. <laughs> I now really want to tempt. I'm now really tempted to change my mind just to annoy you. But uh, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I've, I've already felt really brave already on this podcast. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go uh, very simple now and just uh, head for Ross McSweeney's two terrible touches. Very good. Very good indeed. Anyway, it's been a lovely group therapy session, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me, Lydia Campbell. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been good. Yeah, good fun. Farrell, pleasure as always, my friend. Guten Tag, George. 
<laughs> and good to see you. Good to see you, George Singer. Thank you for your statistical insights as ever. Yeah, thanks, Coops. Excellent. We'll be back on Thursday for a Thursday club following our home match against Peterborough. Let's play for three points. Hope the weather gets a bit better this week. But enjoy the rest of uh, your weekend. Enjoy your, your week up to Wednesday and we'll, we'll see you shortly. Cheers. Come on, you whites. <laughs> <laughs>